Episode 063, Chaya Hinda Allen. You're listening to the Journey to Organization podcast with Rebecca Saltzman, advice to help you clear your clutter and your mind. Hello and welcome to Journey to Organization. I'm Rebecca Saltzman from Balagan Begone Personal Organization. And today I am really excited to welcome my mentor and friend, Chaya Hinda Allen. Chaya Hinda runs a very special program in the Jewish workshop, Workshops community called Living Consciously and has her Think Positive program. Now, if I'm being totally honest with you, taking her Think Positive course changed my life. Chaya Hinda gave me the courage and confidence to help me quit a job that I was really unhappy at, and she gave me the courage to start my personal organization business. She taught me how to harness my belief in Hashem to control anxiety and worry and help me move forward with starting my career as a personal organization expert. In 2007, Chaya Hinda became inspired to make a real change in her own life. She began listening to Rabbanit Sarah Yosef, the daughter-in-law of Harav Ovadia Yosef Zatzal, speaking in Hebrew on the topic of building practical life-changing steps to achieve real amuna. Chaya Hinda was struggling and searching to find tools to make her own life better, and as she applied the tools she was learning, she found that they changed her life completely. She was so inspired, she decided to share those tools with others. Please welcome Chaya Hinda Allen. Rebecca, it's so much fun to be here with you. I'm Thank so you glad so you're much. here. So today I want to start by asking you, how did you get started with Jewish positive thinking and your new community? And I mean, I know you were involved with Ravanit Sario Safe, and you edited her manuscript for the English translation of her book, It's All in Your Mind, which by the way is available on Amazon. But tell us a bit about how your struggle and how Sario Safe changed your life. Well, we had, let's call, uh, uh, there were, you know, Life has its all kinds of situations, and the Kaddish Baruch Hu really, he knows what he's doing when he creates chronic challenges and then adds like a real new acute situation on top of the whatever's going on chronically that really sets a person reeling. And that's basically where I was. There were all kinds of things going on, and then a new major situation came into my life, which it actually knocked me over and made me figure out like, how am I going to keep on standing? At that time, I had been very involved already for around 10 years in founding and, um, and, keep, and running the Neshe here in, in Beitar and Eretz Yisrael for local women. Many, most of us who come from English-speaking countries come to live in Israel, mostly without family. And so we needed to create a, uh, a community. And I've been very involved with the community, very involved in creating all kinds of infrastructure to help the women um, emotionally and, and you know, with meals, different kinds of things. And so I, I thought of myself as someone who, you know, could stand on my own feet. And then Kaddish Baruch showed me, oh no, that's what you think, but <laughs> I'm going to send you a ball that's going to really send you flying. Um, and so in order to like figure out, okay, how do I then, how do I then stand up when all these things are, are happening? Um, I really went on a journey and I tried a number of different things but what happened when I was sitting in the class with, with, the, with Reverend Sarah Yosef was that she was teaching how to use our imagination and how to use guided imagery. And that was the point at which things began to change because I have a very vivid imagination. 
<laughs> Many women come to me and say they have a vivid imagination. Um, but I was able to terrify myself, worry myself sick, and I was doing all kinds of damage with my imagination without even realizing that the source of so much of my fear and, and, uh, and negativity was in my own imagination. And once I began to understand that, and I did begin to understand that very deeply, mostly because I began to experience incredible changes as I began to listen to the guided imagery. And when I found that I was in charge of the pictures, ideas, scenarios, experiences that I chose to focus my mind on, I began to change. And I changed so totally that people around me were, were shocked and amazed. And not only did I begin to change from the inside out, but I then began to notice that major changes and shifts began to take place in my life, sort of reflecting the, the inner change that had taken place. And so I really found that this was an incredibly powerful journey that I had been on and it hadn't taken a long time. It did take application, but it hadn't taken a long time um, because we, we just keep a lot of the negativity going by plugging into it with our minds. As soon as we unplug and plug our minds into some, in some new brainwave, you know, a, a whole new area begins to develop in our, in our mind. And very quickly, we begin to feel differently about our situations. And when we begin to feel differently about our situations, the situations often can change as well. And so over the course of the next few years, um, many different areas of my life began to improve drastically in so many ways. And I also got permission from the Rabbi Nassau Yosef to, to translate her works. And I began to work with guided imagery. And initially I was giving over what I'd heard from the rabbinate. And over the next couple of years, my husband and I worked very, very hard um, in finding what I now find is a very big element in what women like about what I'm teaching is the Torah sources that I bring. The rabbinate, sorry yourself, she brings a certain amount, but being who she is, the daughter of, the daughter-in-law of Rabbi Vadia and her audience, they didn't, somehow they didn't seem to request of her. Um, so much the sources. And as soon as I, I, I got the first, the way that I started was I, I gathered together a group of five friends. I begged them. I said, please just do me a favor. Come and listen to me. And so three came and two didn't. And then one dropped out. And then two more came from, from the recommendation of another one that was there. I ended up with like four or five women that actually stuck with me for a couple of weeks. But the first session when they came, I just opened my mouth and every three words that I got out, they just attacked me with, with questions. How do you know this? And how do you know that? And how can you say this? And how can you say that? And I realized if I'm going to try and get anywhere with, with these, you know, educated Western women, I am going to have to get my sources really down. And the truth is that was the greatest favor to me because I love the sources myself. I love seeing the concise truth written in the, the language of Chazal, in the language of the Torah, in the language of the Mephoshim, and, and those that are explaining the Torah, because their language is so strong and their message is so true that you can't argue with it. I mean, if I give over my opinion, so you could take it or leave it. But when it comes down in our Messiah, in our tradition, so then we get a clarity that, oh, you mean this is how Hashem wants us to think. This is how Hashem wants us to feel. This is authentic Judaism for the soul and spirit. It's not only about how we're supposed to wash our hands in the morning, it's how we're supposed to feel as we wash our soul throughout the day. And so all kinds of different 
the, the inner aspect, the, the six mitzvahs, tamidios, the six constant mitzvahs that we have to do, mitzvahs of the thoughts, how to help ourselves to feel all the things that Hashem wants us to live with are faith and trust in Him and hope to Him and happiness joy and what that really means and how we can apply it even in times of challenge and within our relationships, how to experience love and forgiveness and, and gratitude and appreciation, all of these all important feelings to find that they were rooted in the Torah. And this is how Hashem wants us to, to live our lives. These are the midos. These are the traits that the Torah wants us to experience throughout our days. This now became, um, this became my, my, my whole life, basically, discovering this and then being able to share that. And so I kind of, my path changed. Um, and what I began to understand was that what I'm teaching is how to use our imagination to enable us to feel the feelings that Kaddish Baruch Hu wants us to live with. Because if Desta explains that in order to feel something, we need to use our imagination. And since the Torah is full of feelings, love is a feeling, bitachon, trust, it's a feeling. The Chavos Rebbe says that the level of trust is the depth of feeling of trust. So these are all feelings. Happiness is a feeling. And if you want to generate feelings, Abdesis is the only way to generate a feeling is through using our imagination. And that was the key of what I had experienced, that when I was taught, when I learned how to guide my own imagination to where I wanted it to go, rather than it guiding me, then I was opening up the doors to all of these incredibly positive feelings and that changed my life because, and this is the, the root of, of, of all of, the, of what I'm teaching, is that Kaddish Baruch Hu responds to our feelings towards Him with a new relationship towards us. When we communicate to ourselves in ways that allow us to feel belief in Him and in His love for us and trust in Him and hope to Him and happiness Despite the challenges, we, we choose happiness as a way of life and as a choice. When we make those choices in life, and when we choose forgiveness over holding on to grudges, and when we choose to love unconditionally, despite the difficulty in that relationship, and when we learn how to empower ourselves so that we don't become shmatas, but we become royal, and that we understand the majesty that lives within us so that we can love unconditionally, when we can do all of that, then Hashem responds to us with major changes in our life. And a whole new relationship with the Kodesh Baruch Hu comes into our life. And so when we have a new relationship with Hashem, everything can change. And everything does. And that's the, that's the secret of the transformation that women talk about all the time because Hashem transforms our lives when we've taken the steps to transform ourselves and our relationship with Hashem. That's a lot. That's heavy. I love that. It's true. It definitely works. Um, I definitely have employed your tools to um, to get to where I needed to go and use my imagination and harness that power. But I wanted to know if you were able to use your imagination to help you figure out your tough kid, because I know that a lot of ladies who listen to me sometimes feel like they're not exactly sure how to, you know, integrate things that they know about themselves um, with, you know, real world practices. So how did, did you feel that this was like your, your tafkid, your mission in life to, to educate other women about your transformation or was teaching just always something that you were great at or like, how did you decide that this was the tafkid, like that this was the path you were supposed to be on? Okay, so that's a, it's a fun and interesting question. Um, 
It has, it has a number of components, okay? Basically, I have been on the stage since I was six years old. I was already in plays uh, a number of times a year, and I love being on the stage. And actually, whilst I love being on the stage, I hated myself for it because I always thought that the quality people, they're behind stage, they're the quiet people. I hated the big mouths who are always on stage, but that was me because I have a big mouth. So I was, I was always on the stage. <laughs> but so part of my youth... Um, all through my teenage years was spent preparing plays, doing plays, directing plays, being in them. So my stage presence, meaning the fact that I would be out there doing something um, very, in a very visible way, was always part of just who I was. I couldn't avoid it. Even though I, again, I hated myself for it because I didn't understand how to use it. I didn't okay. understand that a person could have depth and quality whilst being in the public eye. Okay. Another part of, uh, of the conundrum was that I always had this vision of myself in my inner mind. I always had this vision of myself in, um, in women's education, but outside the classroom, uh, like in, in, a, in, a, in, a different, in a different kind of structure, um, maybe in an adult education, um, teaching in, in more creative ways. I definitely always had a vision of myself leading groups, but I never knew what it was that I'd be teaching. I didn't ever know much about anything as far as I was aware. Um, <laughs> I was, you know, Baruch Hashem, I got married soon after I left seminary. Um, and then I worked from home, actually making phone calls for local seminary, setting up their, their girls for Shabbos whilst I was raising my family at home. And so the, you know, there was no great light <laughs> that was coming out of that particular point. I did a lot of voluntary work again with the community. I was very involved in the voluntary work and that's where a lot of my creative energy went. We were doing plays again. I was always, I was on the stage doing the Nishay plays and I was very involved in the behind the scenes setting up the systems to support women. But I, I didn't have anything that I could particularly teach. Right. Um, and so this, this sort of inner knowledge that I would one day be involved in edu women's education um, was kind of hidden. I also always had a fascination with the brain and, um, and how it works and biology and language, like all of these, all of these aspects were fascinations for me, even though they didn't, they didn't really develop at all, all during my early adulthood. And whilst I was raising my children, um, and they just remained areas of interest. I did a lot of reading. I educated myself about things I was interested in, but not, I wasn't at all moving forward towards doing any of this. None of it was, was in my sights at all. I think it's and interesting then, that you said, sorry to interrupt you. I think it's so interesting that you said though, that yeah. a light bulb didn't just go off for you. It was something that you sort of cultivated over time. Cause I feel like so many women like just expect it to be like a eureka moment where it's like, yes, I should be doing that. No, it totally wasn't. It, again, all these different aspects were various threads within me that, that never became bound together until that moment when I was, when I had experienced the changes that, that, that took place within my own self. After listening to Guided Imagery, I understood this is the modality that really shifted things within me. It wasn't about knowledge. I knew a lot. I, I, I educated myself. I read a lot of Sfarim. Um, I really enjoyed learning from the sources. And so I would, I frequently would just read Sfarim for, for my own education and um, to tune into what, what the Torah wants from us. And all of that education was very good in my mind, but it didn't 
penetrate my heart. Rabbi Yisrael Salanta says that we need to use our imagination to allow the knowledge to penetrate into our hearts. And the Sansa Rebbe was once being examined by a doctor. And the doctor asked the, the rabbi, you know, what's your, what do you do? And so the rabbi said, I'm a bridge builder. Well, the doctor looked at this elderly rabbi and he didn't think he looked like a construction worker. So he asked, which bridges where? And he asked him, he, said, he answered him, I'm busy my whole life building bridges from my mind to my heart. Mm-hmm. That's great. Because that's the biggest bridge. And when we have the tool, like in review, so someone says that using our imagination, that's the bridge. That's how we take what we know and put it into our hearts. That's how we can assimilate the information that we know. And that's what I really experienced. And when I experienced that, I knew this is what I have to teach women. I said, this information can't just be in Hebrew, in Bnei Brak. It has to be available to all the English-speaking women that I know. We're all struggling. We, we have so much information. We're very top-heavy because we are so, we're filling our minds with tremendous amounts of information, but we don't know how to use the information. And so you're talking about that moment. I did have that moment, but it came when I was in my late 30s, when I was, you know, when, when a lot of my children were already, I, I had, none of them were married at the time. I still had, all my children were still living at home, Baruch Hashem, a nice big, a nice big tribe. And, um, and so I was very busy, but I did, I did feel at that point that this is something that I have to do. It just, I, it was like an imperative. You have to get this out to women. And so again, I begged some friends, please come and listen. And they sent me on another uh, trajectory of gathering the, the sources. And the more that I gathered, and again, I have to give a great deal of credit to my husband who, Baruch Hashem, he's, he's learning. And um, in the course of his learning, he, he would constantly be gathering from me sources. Whenever he came across something that he felt was important and relevant, he would bring it home to me and we would copy it. And he, we, we would, he had a number of chavrusas with Rav Hart Schlitter and Rav Kozovsky Schlitter, two Rabbanim here. In, 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 in Beitar, who he would go over sources with and he would question them closely and ask them um, to make sure of the authenticity of the way that I was giving it over to make sure that it was in line. And when I discussed a certain idea about Rav Desla with, with, uh, from Chaim Carmel, he said to me, I believe that what you're teaching about the imagination is the intention of Rav Desla. That's what he said to me. And so wow. that was a great encouragement to me, yeah, to feel that, yes, this is, this is the, the, the right path. And so when I found all of these sources, I felt, I just have to share the sources because they speak for themselves. Why do we need to come to there's so much psychology out there that is, that's being bandied about and so much information? But we're talking about the Jewish neshama. We're talking about, about people who are put into the world to reveal HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We have a different mission than the people who these psychologists are talking to. And the Torah is given for us, the Torah is given to teach us how to be that light to the nations. And it's all in the Torah, it's all there. And so all of these sources were, were so empowering to me, transformative to me, mind-boggling and awe-inspiring. I just couldn't keep it down. As you hear, when you get me on the topic, you can <laughs> barely stop me. So if you have another question, Rebecca, just I interject. Do. I have a lot of questions <laughs> for you, actually. Okay, go ahead. So I actually wanted to talk with you about worry because so many times when I'm working with a client, there's worry is a huge component of organization because there's this big fear when you declutter something and either clients say to me, well, that's useful or they'll say, I might need this. But 
it hasn't been used in so long and it's probably never going to be used again. And I always tell people, um, don't worry, you'll always have what you need, but it's so hard for people to really internalize it and believe it. And so I guess I kind of want to know is where is the, where do you think the worry is coming from and how can we really internalize it so that we feel comfortable letting go of the things that are no longer useful to us and giving them to somebody who would actually need them or use them or even just recycling them and moving on from them. Well, first of all, I just like to take the last few phrases that you've used. And I would say that the things that are hanging around that are no longer useful the most are our worries. They're hanging around in our minds and they're no longer That's useful. True. We do think they were serving a purpose. And so I'm going to, tell you some of the purposes that women think their worries are serving and then we can allow ourselves to rid ourselves of the worries that are blocking up our minds and once we can do that we can relinquish a lot of the other physical stuff that was again the worries were, were making us hold on to so number one some women say to me but i come from a long line of hungarian warriors <laughs> meaning i this is my spiritual identity. This is who I am because my mother was a warrior. My grandmother was a warrior. This is how we, this is how we address the world. This is how we approach our lives. It's, it's not just that I worry about what am I going to have in my closet or if I give it away. It's my whole life um, approach is about worrying. Today I'm worrying about tomorrow and I'm also worrying about what's going to be next year. And basically I have a whole pantry stocked with worries for the next six months in order that I will always have what to do because that's what my life is about. It's, a, it's really amazing when people begin to become aware of the extent of their worries and how they, every thought is approached as a worry rather than as you know, just an aspect of life. Um, and so it's, it's an awareness that we have to gain of just how worried we are. A woman said to me, but how will I express my caring if I'm not worried? <laughs> Meaning, Interesting. this is another, another way, another way this That's woman was, was experiencing. Exactly. Yeah. When I worry for someone or for myself, I'm showing that I care. I'm showing my love. So how can I stop worrying? Because then how would I show my love? So she, she was, another woman, she was telling me that um, her mother-in-law was coming to visit and she had to drive down a very windy road to get to her. And when she got there, she said to her, her daughter-in-law, weren't you worried about me? Weren't you so worried about me when I was coming? And this daughter-in-law was like, I wasn't, you know, I, I, I knew you were on the way. I wasn't worried. And the mother was very insulted that she wasn't worried about her. And so when I discussed this with the daughter-in-law, she said, oh, you mean when she yells at me down the phone? Oh no, what's going to be? You mean she's just telling me how much she loves me? Like that's what she's yeah, doing? It's true. And yes, that's what she's doing. I mean, this mother-in-law for her, worrying about everything is how she shows that she cares. And when I, when we approached this, with, with, with women and, and we're try, I'm trying to like, you know, separate them a little bit from their worries. We need to replace that with something else. Meaning we need to show our love by caring, but we can care without worrying. We can care through being responsible. We can care through taking loving action. We can care through speech. We can care through, through acts of devotion and showing how much we care, but we don't have to care through worrying. But again, it's been in certain families, it has been the chosen method of how to show caring in so many ways that people don't know how to, I was in the elevator the other day with, um, with 
uh, 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 she was clearly the grandmother and a mother and, and a couple of small children. And this grandmother was busy worrying away about what the children was doing or whether they were going to be late for their appointment. And the daughter was, you know, taking it in her stride that her mother just worries away that that's what she does. Because unfortunately, this negative worrying um, approach to life is, is a habit. People don't understand. It's a really bad habit that we can change. People think that that's who they are, but we're not our habits. We are much, much more than our habits and we can choose new, more empowering habits. And one of the ways that I will do that is by showing women how worrying is actually counterproductive. We think that when I worry for something, I'm going to keep putting in effort to make sure that it happens. But the contrary is true. That actually from our sources, we learn that when a person worries and is fearful about something, this actually prevents blessed from coming into our lives. So I'll share with you, Rav Pincus brings down in his Sefer about Shabbos, um, the Nefesh Shimshon about, on, on, the, on Shabbos. He brings down the story of Elisha Hanavi, that the king of Aram wanted to capture the king of Israel. He wanted to fight against them. And Elisha Hanavi went to the king of Aram and, and went to the king of Israel. And he told him, listen, the king of Aram is setting up an ambush for you. Don't go this particular way. And a number of times the king of Israel avoided the ambush and was saved. And the king of Aram was very angry. He wanted to know who was the spy who was giving away the military secrets. His advisors told him, no, it's not a spy. It's Elisha the Navi. He has Holy Spirit upon him. And he, he can hear the conversations that you have in private. And he's telling the king what to do. So the king of Aram decided he wanted to capture Elisha alive. Okay. And see this for real. So he now sent a whole battalion to surround Elisha in the town that he was. Elisha's assistant saw this massive army deployed against them and he became very scared. And he said, oh, my master, what will we do? Elisha right away said, Don't, do not fear for the forces on our, on our side are much greater than the forces against us. And he opened the eyes of his attendant and he allowed him to see with his physical eyes the spiritual forces that were arrayed out there. He saw fiery angels, horses and chariots, again, uh, angelic horses, angelic chariots, and th these spiritual forces that were massive and deployed, ready to fight against the army of Aram. And when the attendant saw that, he calmed right down. And then Elisha davened Hashem that he strike the army of Aram blind. And that's what happened. They all became blind. And Elisha and his attendant escaped. So Rechaim Shmulevitz, again, Rav Shimshon um, is bringing this down. Rechaim uh, Shmulevitz asks, why did Elisha have to go through this whole thing of showing him these angels when in the end he asked Hashem to make the army blind and they had nothing to do with their ultimate rescue? What was going on here? And he explains, when the attendant said, oh no, what are we going to do? His fear and lack of trust in Hashem paralyzed the heavenly forces that were going to protect him. Because fear and worry paralyze the heavenly forces. But as soon as he became calm 
and said, oh, it's okay. I, I recognize the spiritual forces that are there for us. Then those spiritual forces were activated and then a miracle take place. And it didn't matter what that miracle was. In the end, it was that the army was struck blind and they could no longer have any power to affect him. Right. But when we understand then that the thoughts that take place between our ears and the words that we say, if we're expressing words of worry and fear, they actually can prevent us from receiving the spiritual assistance and protection that we need. But the contrary is also true. When we express and feel and allow ourselves to imagine the spiritual protection that really does exist for us, and we allow ourselves to rely on that. And again, this is not easy. This doesn't happen overnight. It's a process that we have to work on and develop within our minds and guide our imagination to help ourselves to feel. Right. Then we will bring additional spiritual protection and bounty into our lives. It's so funny. I always tell my clients, I don't have a magic wand that I can wave to, you know, make you organize. It takes time and practice to, to get to that space. And so it's the same thing with worry that it takes time to get there. You can't just wave the magic wand and stop worrying all of a sudden, but you can slowly learn to control it and eliminate it from your life, which is right. Right. So, um, on a similar vein, I kind of, I think that like when we talk about the worry and how it, that's actually what's holding us back, it's not actually the stuff, then let's switch and change from the worry to actually clearing out the space. So if now we've learned that it's the worry is what's actually holding us back and not so much the stuff, it's actually easier to, to declutter. But actually when we declutter, we actually allow more blessing to come into our lives. So I personally believe that on Rosh Hashanah and the Jewish New Year, we're allotted X. And we don't really know if it's going to be more or less than what we had last year. So when we clear out our stuff, if we were actually allotted less than we were we had last year, we won't really know because we've cleared out the extra stuff and we're basically staying at the same level. But if we if we clear out our stuff and we were supposed to have more, we're definitely going to feel the difference and the bracha and the blessing is going to be coming into our lives at sort of a different ratio. So I guess, so let's combine the two with the worry and I'm, I'm not using this and it might be useful and the, and the making of the space. Tell us like how those two things are connected for you or if they're connected for you. Well, I have a really, really nice story I'd like to share with you is okay. that I do, I do talk on this topic and I do believe in getting rid of the old in order to make space for the new. Um, here in Eretz Yisrael, um, many people have, you know, smaller kinds of, of homes that they're dealing with than, than in the States. And, um, and so every, you know, every square unit of flooring is, is, is really a premium. You know, you've got to really know how to use it. Right. So there was a couple that I know. Woman was taking my program and she shared with me this, this, this story when I was getting onto this topic. She said that a number of years ago, her, she and her husband were looking at their storage room. They had a storage room and it was basically filled up with their suitcases that they had both used when they came to learn in yeshiva and in seminary when they were, you know, 18, 19. And they had these big suitcases and they were taking up a lot of space in their storage room. And they, they were said to each other, you know, we really don't fly very often. And when we do, 
we could borrow a suitcase and these suitcases are taking up a lot of space in our storage room. Maybe we'll give them to one of these local gemach in one of these you know, places that, get, that lends them out to people. And when we need them, we'll borrow them and then we'll have this space. So they both agreed and they gave away these very big suitcases. And when they saw this room that was now open, her husband said all of a sudden, you know, he said, this would be a fantastic learning room. And she agreed with him. And they had a little window and they, they managed to find, I don't know what else they had in the, in the room, but basically he brought himself a little table and chair and he set up some shelf space and he gained an entire private room for him to learn in that he could you know, just go to and many more hours would be learned there because he had the privacy and the space to be able to do that out of a room that had been stuffed up for 20 years with suitcases. Wow. It's like his house could, you know, breathe and give him new life and a new purpose. Exactly. So that's yeah. really how you can take old stuff. No worries. Give it away. Let somebody else use it. We'll have it when we need it. And the space became all of a sudden an entirely new, it got a whole new life. Exactly. Amazing. Um, I, I want to talk to you about time management. Yeah. Um, I know you have a large family. You mentioned you have a lovely tribe, Baruch Hashem. <laughs> um, so let's talk about tips and tricks that you employ to help you get it all done. Because in addition to the worry that people feel, people don't necessarily understand how to avoid just feeling overwhelmed, which is, I think, a little bit different than f- feeling worried. Because um, I think stress is, is slightly different from worry. And yeah, how I do you... How do you actually like arrange your time so that you get it all done? Do you outsource? Do you automate? Uh, one thing that I definitely want to touch on with you is mantras, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute because uh, I have like a specific question about those. Um, but like what for, for me, I think like time management is definitely like making a priority and knowing that like my time is not necessarily my own and that anything could happen during the day where, you know, it could derail me, but it's the flexibility of understanding like how to structure priorities that make it easier for me. And then it allows me to say to myself, like Hashem's taking care of it and I don't have to be overwhelmed. But what, what personally works for you? So a couple of things um, that really work for me, I'll share with you. The, the first caveat is going to be, they work for me because of who I am. <laughs> okay, so everybody is different. And so of course, everybody needs the tools that are going to work for them. Um, but the first thing that works for me, you did mention mantras, is that um, when it comes to time management, I'm actually pretty time challenged naturally. Okay. Meaning, when I was a schoolgirl, I was frequently late to class and my teacher would look at me and say, what are you thinking about? Like, what are you, am I, I, was, I was so in the clouds that holding on to time and living within time is and was a constant challenge for me. So because, I've, um, because I do have that real deep time challenge within me that it's been a deep struggle with me to be on time and to limit myself within time, I had to come up with a mantra that Hashem organizes my time. Because if I had to organize it, just the thought of having to organize my time is beyond me because it, it's really actually is beyond my skill set. Okay. So when I totally gave up the control of my time to Hashem, that Hashem, Hashem controls my time. And I, it began just as a mantra, as, as what you're saying, you know, just as a statement, but it has become a deep belief due to, experiencing 
that once I did give it up to Hashem, he really took on the job very nicely. And he does a wonderful job of organizing my time. So that, what, what do I mean Hashem organizes my time? Meaning all kinds of things will fall into place within time that I could never have organized if I would have dreamed it for a million years. Because the Kodesh Baruch Hu is organizing it, and because I really trust him with my time, a Kodesh Baruch Hu really uses my time and enables me to do a tremendous amount in a short amount of time because he's organizing it. So there's a lot of trust and reliance that has come into that statement of Hashem organizes my time. It's not only about saying it, it's about really believing it because I was so challenged in that area that I had to really give it up to Hashem. But you recognize that this was an area that was challenging for you because I feel like right. sometimes people just sort of look at their deficiencies as, as something they shouldn't recognize when really we can use those to, to change our limiting beliefs in a way because we can say, I'm not, I'm not good at this, so I'm giving it over and I'm letting it come off of my shoulders. Right. I did also, I mean, I did also put effort in and do some creative thought. And this is the second part then of, of what I did. I want to share with you the way that I um, experience days and weeks. Okay. Um, I use the example of, um, of a cake, even though I actually don't eat much cake, but I use the example of a cake because <laughs> when you make, when you make a cake, so you, you use a lot of different ingredients. You use the flour and the, and the healthy oils, let's say. And, you know, let's say you put in nuts and let's say you're putting in some kind of sweetener and, uh, and some raising ingredients, okay? And you're mixing it all together and eggs and water, whatever you're putting into your cake, all right? And then you've got this whole cake. If you eat one crumb of cake, you have effectively eaten from all of those ingredients. Correct. Even though you only ate one crumb. And so we women, we want to do a lot, but we have to know we don't have to do a lot of each thing in order to have done it. So if I want to touch base with someone once a week, I can do that very time effectively in a a 20-minute phone conversation. If I want to schedule in, so meaning, let's say uh, my personal example is it's very important to me something that I really enjoy doing that gives me tremendous satisfaction in my life is talking to the women who are in my various programs and giving them guidance as they go through the program. So in the beginning, it was a real challenge. People were calling me day and night and my family needed me and the phone became almost an enemy. And so what I started to do was I started to create a phone hour that I, because it was important to me to have that time with women, but it was important, important to me that it be structured. Right. And so originally, so think about how I you had, can make a system to harness everything. Exactly. Like so I put K-Y. one hour aside to only answer phones. And in the beginning, that also was a little bit disorganized. People would just try and get through, and whoever got through, it was almost like the survival of the fittest. Whoever <laughs> felt strong enough to keep on trying, they got through, but whoever didn't sort of fell by the wayside. But then my terrific organizer and coordinator, Deborah Rosenblum, who came on board, she began to coordinate 20-minute um, pre, pre, uh, pre-set um, sessions, yeah. for, for appointments for, 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 for women, so that everybody got 20 minutes. And that way, there was no guessing, no, no one was left out. Everybody got 20 minutes at the, um, you know, at the times that we had decided. And I knew that I got that vital ingredient in my day, which was talking to women because 
where we can get we can sometimes get lost in the technical aspects of the lives that we lead and the 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 grassroots talking to women hearing their issues being able to guide people that gives me emotional satisfaction almost more than anything else so i needed to have that in my day even if it's just one hour but one hour of it was good and then i also had I needed a certain amount of teaching. So I have my live classes, I have my phone class, I have my, my live classes. And then, of course, time with the family. I schedule in, this is family time. I don't take phone calls. And anybody who tries to call me at home mostly has got the answer. She's not available now because I mostly am not available outside of the scheduled appointments that I take. So I'm extremely focused in my time. I do not talk on the phone hardly to anybody that's not pre-arranged uh, in my schedule because my family time is so important to me and that became such a priority in my schedule so I, I you know I cordoned off very important areas of of time bare time for the children afternoon time to do homework with my daughter you know evening with, with my son before he goes to sleep the one who's home before he goes to yeshiva various times of family time that are untouchable and at those times I'm just not available so I created unavailability but then I have also great availability when I wanted to be there. So I can satisfy my needs throughout the day. So what I would say is know what your needs are through the day. Prioritize. And then even if you just have a crumb of it, a certain amount of davening, a small amount of learning, whatever's going to give you satisfaction. If you need to meet a friend here and there, women need to meet friends. I was dealing with a woman the other day and she's a very wealthy woman. She goes to lots of classes, lots of shirim. And I, I noticed that she was missing nurturing. I said to her, when do you get together with friends? So she looked at me like I was from Mars. I said, do you have any friends? So she said to me, well, I have women that I run into now and again, and we always say we should get together for coffee. I'm like, right, when did you last do that? Like it never happened. So we have to schedule in. Also time for ourselves, time to have fun, time to laugh with a friend, time to just schmooze. These are very important. I schedule that into my time as well. But it's something that... When a woman knows what she needs, then she'll feel great satisfaction at the end of the day, even if it was only a few crumbs of whatever it was, but it builds up over time. And if we eat a whole cake, crumb by crumb, eventually we'll have eaten the whole cake. So we'll get things done. We will have accomplished a lot, even if we only do it crumb by crumb. So that's another tool that I would use in time management. Does that help? Yes, but I'm curious to know how, how you advise people to set their priorities in terms of what is important to them to make sure that's happening. So you're saying that, you know, it's important to set aside time for your friends and it's important to set aside a time, set aside time for your family. So are you like, did you sit down and did you prioritize this for yourself or did it just sort of come naturally over like trial and error over time? Oh no, I sat down with myself. And again, well, I did tell you a little bit about the, the progression of the phone time that it was right. much more disorganized and then it became more organized and now Baruch Hashem, it's really tight and it's working really great. Um, so the, there definitely has to be some elements of trial and error because every area of growth has to be with trial and error because no one's born getting everything right first time. So there has to be a certain element of trial and error. And we only know that there's some kind of error when we feel off kilter, when we feel overwhelmed. If a woman is feeling overwhelmed, then it's a message. I need to shift something. Maybe I'm, again, I was feeling very overwhelmed when I was available nonstop over the phone. It's overwhelming to, to, have, to, um, to have to deal with children whilst the phone is ringing. And I think a lot of our overwhelm comes from being torn. 
one of the most difficult feelings for me is when I am torn between my family and a client who needs me. I don't like the, the being torn. I like to know clearly here I can devote myself to this customer, to this client here. I can devote myself totally to this child or to my husband or to my friend or whoever I'm with at the time. And then I know I can give myself over to whatever it is that I'm, that I'm doing right now. When we feel we're torn in too many directions, because we don't have in our schedule when we can fully give over to it, then I think overwhelm is, is much more, much more a, pre, uh, a problem in our lives. So we have to, I don't know if that's a problem for everyone. I know that I don't like feeling torn and I'm more overwhelmed when I'm feeling torn. But when we can then divide up and structure for ourselves, and if we can't do it for ourselves, do it with a friend. You know, it's a really, it's, it's something that we need to do. And again, you see the progression of the phone time was, it was an issue in my life. And then it was something that Baruch Hashem, we, we really negotiated a, a very good relationship now. And so we can negotiate great relationships with whatever's struggling. So if I say bedtime, it's just not working right. Or, um, you know, or whatever it is, or laundry, I'm just not getting to it. We have to come up with systems more that work. So I have some children, I have Baruch Hashem, two teenage girls at this point. I didn't have that a lot of my, a lot of my life that I had two teenage girls. When you have two teenage girls, it's amazing. They can really get a tremendous amount done. So at this stage in my life, they take care of most of the laundry and the shopping. I do all of the cooking and they also do a lot of the cleaning. So we have, we've, we've developed a system that works. But as just Hashem, within the next two or three years, they're both going to be married and I'm going to have boys in yeshiva and not the same kind of help. And I'm going to have to readjust and adapt and create new systems in my life because obviously that kind of live and help is just not going to be available. And so right. we do well, have... It might be. You never know. You never know. You're right. I mean, my, I, have, I have one younger daughter who's growing up, but she's whatever. You know, it's, it's just... There's obviously always going to be shifts in our life and, right. and, what, and, and, and what, when we have babies or when great babies grow up or when babies get married. It's and about flexibility. Exactly. We right. have to be able to readjust and to negotiate. Again, it's not like, oh, I set this in place. This is it. It will never change. But sometimes we have to say, oh, now it's time for something a little bit new and different and to reassess what are my needs? What's my husband's needs? What did the family need? And then... Sometimes we'll just drop some things and sometimes we'll bring something new in and it's being open to, it's being open to the positive changes. And again, for me, what works is that if Hashem is organizing my time, then I know that it's in good hands. So whatever the changes need to be, I can trust Hashem to take care of it for me. Okay. So I have just two more questions for you, Chai Hinda. Um, the, The first is, is, Guided imagery. Now, I admit I don't u- utilize this tool often enough, um, and we did definitely touch on it. But how how do you like structure them? And I'm dying to know which one is your favorite. Um, so how do I structure them? First of all, I I want to um, maybe turn what you said for your for your own self and and, and uh, frame it slightly differently. You learned how to use your imagination you're actually using guided imagery within your mind all the time, even if you're not actively sitting down with your earphones in and listening to a specific guided imagery track. Valid point, I definitely do that. (laughs) Okay. So once we harness the power of our imagination and we know how to use it, then you're guiding it all the time. And we don't have to do it all the time in the context of a specific guided imagery. One, we know the power of how how to use our mind. So you've got that. 
again. So, okay. Um, just wanted to, to, to remind you of that. That makes me feel better. Thank you. Good. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so once, once we do do that, then how do we structure guided imagery? Mostly in the beginning. And I still do find that I will be able to achieve a lot more in making shifts in my mind when I am in a deeply relaxed state, when my body is physically relaxed, when my mind is off whatever's, you know, acutely going on in my life presently, whether it's phone calls or whether it's business or whether it's what's happening with the children and, you know, all different kinds of symptoms coming up. When I can relax from that and take my mind off it and just really let myself sit with myself in a peaceful inner place, then I can definitely be more time efficient in how I use my mind and I can shift my thinking. I can, I can open myself up to new ways of thinking. I can receive creativity and ideas and move myself forward in all kinds of ways very much more time efficiently when I do use a guided imagery track because it's more focused and fast. I find that if I try and do it by myself, I will, I will guide my mind, but it's less time efficient. It's just more slow, but that's okay. Right. Cause if I'm doing things at the same time, I'm anyway going to be guiding my mind to where I want it to go. Cause that's just how my mind works now. And if I find myself going, my mind going to the place where I don't want it to go, I'll just, you know, redirect it most of the time. So I want it to go. Um, well, you've asked me the favorite one. The truth is yeah. that many years ago, I was trying to um, create some kind of a structure for one of my sons so that each day that he would come home, he would have something he would enjoy doing. So I asked him, what's your favorite game? And he said, every day something different. And I started to, add, when I found that when I asked a lot of people in my family, what's your favorite, whatever it is, the answer they come up with is every day something different. <laughs> so... <laughs> And I find that for myself, it's also true. I enjoy new and varied guided imagery because I enjoy the freedom of being able to go anywhere in my mind and create all kinds of amazing scenarios, experiences, realities in my mind. Um, basically, because that's what I've always been doing since I was a little child, just using my imagination all kinds of wild and crazy ways. And now I just have many more tools developed to be able to do that and create this for other people. So I have two different programs that are running right now that, that actually force me to create new guided imageries on a weekly basis, which for me is um, an opportunity to be very creative within a structure. And so that's another way that's that great. I use time management, by the way, is I create structures that force me to perform. And so that brings me into time so that I, I need to use time because I, I've created that structure that I need to perform within. So mm -hmm. I do produce two guided imageries every week. Again, wow. it's not me. It's the Kaddish Baruch who produces them, but I enjoy, the, I enjoy the, the, the variety. I enjoy being able to use our inner imagination in all kinds of ways to guide ourselves to different kinds of feelings. And I do want to just mention one thing about guided imagery. Whilst the word imagery comes from image, which is a visual word, many people's inner imagination is not used in a visual way and many times a person's imagination works in sounds and in voices i was working with one woman whose imagination worked entirely in conversation she wasn't able to picture anything and she wasn't even able to hear anything other than conversation but every Every experience in her mind was experienced through conversations that she had in the past or conversations that she was imagining happening in the future or conversations that she was imagining people having about her. And oh, so it's just so important, yes, to understand that our imagination is based on many different components for most of us. 
not all of them visual and some people don't have a visual imagination at all and it doesn't mean you don't have an imagination but we all have active imaginations and we have to learn our own self in order to know how to use our imagination um, to propel us forward to empower us rather than having our imagination drag us down interesting so i always end my show the podcast with um, a mantra, which you also like to call Hillel statements. My personal statement is Hashem is taking care of it. I always just repeat that over and over and over to myself. Just, I'm going to take it off my shoulders and be like, I don't need to worry about this anymore. Hashem's taking care of it. But I'm curious to know what yours is. Is it like the guided imagery ever changing? Um, so I'll answer that in uh, first of all, giving a little bit of background. I, I create two kinds of positive statements in general. One kind of positive statement, which I call a Hillel statement, is uh, a present um, response to something particular going on in my life. So Hashem is helping me organize, um, organize my time, or Hashem is um, you know, making this meeting go well, specific things that are coming up in my life. And then I will come up with something that I call a core belief, which is a positive statement, but it reflects something deeply within me. And that's what more like a mantra, meaning it's something that I'm going to be saying over and over again, that's at the core of, of myself. And so for me, with the work that I've done over my life, I would say um, everything, our ho the hope that I try to build is based on our trust in Hashem. And our trust in Hashem is based on our belief in Hashem. And our belief in Hashem is based on our belief that Hashem loves us. And especially as a woman, I, I know the Rambam says that women need love. And I believe in and my experiences with women across the world has also been that we do need to feel loved and we need to feel that Hashem loves us in order to be able to have faith in Him and trust Him and hope to Him. And so Thinking about what you're asking me, what, is, what would be my, my mantra, my hill state, my, my core belief is really, Hashem loves me more than I can imagine. That as much as I would like to be loved, as much as I could imagine it, Hashem loves me even more than that. And that thought and that belief encourages me, energizes me, allows me to rely on Him for everything that I need because His love is way more than I could even imagine, more than I could even fathom, more than I could more than I can ever come, come up with. And so I can rely on that love for everything. So that's really my core belief. Amazing. I love it. If you want to reach Chaya Hinda, you can check out her website, chayahinda.com. That's C-H-A-Y-A-H-I-N-D-A. Or you can call Devoa Rosenblum in Israel at 052-760-0093. That's 052-760-0093. Or in America, you can call 786-233-7213. That's 786-233-7213 for more information on any of Chaya Hinda's programs. Chaya Hinda, thank you so much for being here today. Is there anything else that you would like to tell uh, the listeners about organization or anything at all, really? I would just like to thank you, Rebecca, because oh, when pleasure. you came to join me a number of years ago, you also 
um, empowered me with a lot of organization within my business back then. And I have a tremendous amount of appreciation for what you have done, for what you've helped me with. And it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be able to partner with you whenever we get together, whenever I see you, it's always really fun. And I want to encourage the women <laughs> who are listening to you that you have a tremendous amount to give. Keep tuned in to Rebecca. Thank you so much. All right, everybody, have a fabulous day. Remember, Hashem is keeping you organized or Hashem is taking care of it, whichever you prefer, or anything that works for you. Have a fabulous week and happy organizing. Thanks for listening to the Journey to Organization podcast. You can find Rebecca on Twitter and Instagram at BalaGonBegon and on Pinterest as Rebecca Saltzman. Visit BalaGonBegon.com for resources and to join the mailing list to get podcast updates.